You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Well, the writer of Hebrews, we we aren't sure who it is. It's actually the only anonymous book in the New Testament. He gets right to the point of what this is about. He sums up all that he intends to deliver to the congregation of God's people, uh, these, these new Christians. He's He's summing up everything he wants to say, and it is this, Jesus is the full and complete expression of God, the epitome of truth, the exact expression of the radiance, the brilliance, the majesty, the creativity, the beauty, and the nature of God. There is no other way to see the glory, nature, and character of God more perfectly than by looking at Jesus. Simply put, Jesus is better than anything and everyone for all times. There is nothing that could be added to Jesus to make him better or more relevant. There is nothing in all existence on earth or in heaven, in all of the universe, that is outside of the lordship and governance of Jesus Christ. No single molecule, no single cell, No single event, no single activity, no single thought or emotion outside of his governance. How you and I respond to a claim like that is everything. How you and I respond to the claim that Jesus is better than anything and everyone for all times will shape our life in the most radical ways. This is a claim that sounds strange and ignorant uh, in our time, in our postmodern time, Uh, I've read that as much as 70% of Americans insist that when it comes to matters of God and truth and morality, there really is no way of knowing, that there's a lot of confusion out there, there's a lot of uncertainty out there, there's no absolutes in other words. There is no right way to live, there's no right path, there's no way to understand God as he truly is. Our senses can't comprehend him, and each of us are trying to kind of get as close as possible so in the, in the midst of this constant influx of ideas and opinions and perspectives about life and morality, we often are left confused. And this is especially the case when it comes to God. Who is God? What is he like? What has he done? What does he require of us? How are we to respond to what God has communicated to us? Can we know God? Can we know our creator? Can we know what he is like and what his purposes are for us? These are some of the questions that we have. This is some of the questions that are answered in the book of Hebrews. As we begin our series, we encounter what's perhaps the single most important statement that could be made in our day and time, and that is this statement, God spoke. God spoke. This is so amazing because God is beyond the realm of our senses and natural understandings. If if God did not initiate with us, we would not know him. If God did not speak to us to tell us what he is like and what he has done and who he is, we would still be in the dark. We would be in darkness. We would be unknowing. It's so amazing. If you have any desire to know God, he must make himself known to you. And he must do it in a way that you and I can understand. Therefore, there's, there's nothing more amazing And more essential that the fact that God has spoken. God has spoken. 
And I want to look at three ways that we can respond to, the, to this reality that God speaks to us. In this introduction to Hebrews, we're looking at this, uh, this beautiful three, first three passages, how God, he initiates, he speaks, he reveals who he is, and no more clearly than in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Three ways to respond to how God speaks to us. First way is we respond by listening. We respond by listening to God's word. This is simple enough. The opening lines of this letter bring the audience face to face with God who speaks. God is not a, a feeling or a state of mind or a way of life, but a person who speaks. God is a, a person who initiates, who speaks, who communicates. If you were to say, hey, I, if you were to describe me, say, you know, Pete is, he's just got the most beautiful blonde hair, and, you know, he's, he is just a really, uh, I, I just love his freckles, and he, uh, I love his six children that he has. You're, you're saying things about me, but if these aren't true things, then it, it's, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's not true. And how will you know me unless, you, unless I tell you what I'm like and who I am and what I'm passionate about? Same way with God. He reveals himself to us. Apart from his revelation, we have no way of knowing him. He is a person who speaks. In the past, Hebrews says, in the past, God has spoken things to his people in many ways and in pieces. Think of it like the courses of a meal. God spoke in portions, but the main course had yet to come. Everything that God had spoken was an attempt to lead up to the main course, the most clear revelation of who he is and what he is like in Jesus Christ. This refers to the various ways God revealed himself to his people through dreams, through visions, through voices, through angels, even through the prophets and the sermons of the prophets. If you have some familiarity with the Old Testament, you're familiar with um, these stories, how God communicated to his people, probably, you know, through the burning bush with Moses, through the Ten Commandments, uh, God speaking through the burning bush and through an angel or a vision, God bringing uh, prophecy to, to his prophets and they speak uh, the words of God. And a lot of times you and I, I know what this feels like. We say, God, would you just give me a sign? Would you tell me what you're thinking? Would you give me some direction? Will you speak to me to let me know that you love me and care for me and that you're involved in my life? And when we do that, when we say that today, we are actually asking for a lesser kind of revelation. We're asking for something that is less full, less fulfilling, less meaningful. Because that's the way God has spoken to us in, in a long time ago in pieces. But now he has spoken to us through his son. There is no clearer picture. There is no better way of knowing what God is like and his purposes and will for us in our life and in all of creation than by looking at Jesus Christ. All of these things in former ways were meant to be a gradual yet progressive discovery of the mind and will of God and the main course yet to come. And when it did, when Jesus comes, he brings the final word. What this means is this, the life and work and teaching and person of Jesus Christ written down for us in the New Testament by the New Testament writers is the fulfillment of every single syllable that God has ever uttered. 
It is the fulfillment. He is the fulfillment of every promise, of every word, of every intention, of any agenda and purpose of God is fulfilled in Jesus. This is all to drive home the point that Jesus is better than anything and everyone for all times. He cannot be improved upon. He has no need for correction. He cannot be subtracted from. Jesus is not one more opinion. He's not one more voice in our life. He is not one more person in, in, the, in the midst of many qualified people to point you to God. He's the glorious God to whom everything in all creation points. Everything in all of creation finds its meaning and purpose in Jesus. And that means if it doesn't point to Jesus, if your affections don't point to Jesus, if your life does not point to Jesus, it is going in the wrong direction. If your affections and dreams and loves are not finding their ultimate fulfillment in God's agenda for us to be like Christ, it is going in the wrong direction. It means the best thing that you and I can do, whether we're starting the new year, right? Because the new year is a great time to start new, new habits and mindsets and uh, rhythms in our life or even to stop some. What is the point of that all? The best thing that you and I can do today is to orient our ears and our hearts completely around Jesus and his word. Everything else is second best. Everything else is a distant second. And these first few verses give us great uh, opportunity to evaluate our lives, evaluate maybe the past year and looking ahead into the new year of how we are going to orient our life and our habits and asking ourselves, is everything coming second to God's desire for us to hear from Christ, hear from his word, to orient our lives around his agenda for our life, to be more like him, to know him. You know, how many of you have had have some perspective today on a certain topic that has changed from previous years? Yes? That's good. Thank you for being honest. I'll raise my hand with you. When were you, you know, when, when we were, when my family, when we were in the young baby stage, for instance, um, the American Pediatric Association recommended newborns sleeping on their backs. And maybe some of you, when, when you were uh, young parents, uh, babies were recommended to sleep on their stomachs. And there was this, even this weird kind of few years where the Pediatric Association said that they should sleep on their side with a wedge under their head, right? And they sold all these wedges that you could put it under their mattress and so they were propped up. I mean, man, when my kids are having kids, they probably have to be suspended from their ankles or something. It's the best way, science says, this is the best way, hold them up by their ankles. <laughs> Things change, right? How many of you have, have you had opinions and deeply held beliefs that have changed over the years? You grow, you mature, you have new perspective. Um, you have many failures and course corrections, and you come into knowing things about life and even about God that have changed. When we ask God, God, what is your opinion on any given topic it will be the same answer today as it was yesterday and will be forever. Verse 2 says that Jesus is the heir of all things through whom he also created the world. God does not, he doesn't change his mind. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't flow with the changing culture. He doesn't change. His influence, his, his opinion 
is constant and consistent. His truth is secure in the heavens, we learn from God's word. Jesus has natural ownership and dominion over everything on earth and in heaven because all things exist through the power of his word. How do we respond with our lives to a claim like that? That there is not a single thing in all of creation and all the universe that Jesus doesn't say, mine. To which he doesn't say, this is mine. He is heir of all things. Why? Because he is, all things were created for him, by him, and through him. One way to demonstrate to a God who reveals himself to us like that is to listen to what he says, to listen to him. None of us are in a position to correct God when he speaks. None of us are in a position to look at God's word and say, well, you know, I know this is what he has said, but let's see how it plays out. I'm kind of weighing some other different options and some other different wisdom and some different ways of living and thinking. None of us are in a position to correct God when he speaks. Have you ever been accused of being a poor listener? I can't tell you how many wives just looked at their husbands right now and elbowed them in the the ribs. If you have trouble listening to people, uh, it's likely we have trouble listening to God too. You know, if you're, a, if you're someone that says, I'm just not a good listener, I always, I'm always thinking and not really listening, we, we might have a hard time listening to God too and settling down. And, and, it's, and instead of approaching God's word and saying, okay, what do I do in my life? How, how do I live? What's the right way to act? Coming to God's word and saying, well, what are you even saying? Am I even in a position to listen to you, to hear from you, to receive from you? And, and, and why is it credible? We have seen that God, that God is telling us that he is, he is speaking, God speaks to us. And his word is true. There is nothing truer than what he says. Everything in all of creation was made by, for, and through Christ. How do we respond? We respond with the humble posture of listening. The, writers, uh, the writer of Hebrew is likely uh, the pastor of this congregation, of this church, who he, these maybe are a series of sermons that he is writing and preaching, calls his friends to listen to the word of God as it has been given to them through the gift of God's scripture. God has spoken to us in a world that is eager to offer countless voices and perspectives on how to live. The word of God is the most relevant and true thing that you can hear today. It is sufficient for every aspect of life. It is overflowing with insight and implications for anxiety, for politics, for parenting, for marriage and singleness, for money, for business, for leisure and how we spend our spare time. The writer of Hebrews exhorts us three times, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but listen. We're gonna work through these these this wonderful letter, these wonderful series of sermons, and, and it keeps encouraging God's people. If, if you are able to hear, don't, don't turn your ear from what God says. If you hear his voice today, listen. And so what I invite you all into in, 
as we approach God's word, that we would be people who listen, that we would not neglect to hear his word, that we would hear his voice and not harden our hearts. What's, what's that mean to harden our hearts? It's to, it's to hear his word and to turn away from it. It is to hear his word and to be, to be closed minded on what he says. It is to wrestle with what God says and to debate with God in what he says rather than to receive his word. But listening isn't the end of it, right? Listening isn't the end of it, of his word. We respond to the supremacy of Christ that by also rehearsing it, the gospel story. So we rehearse the gospel story. We have this amazing description of Jesus who is the eternal pre-existent son through whom God created the world, who now sustains everything by the power of his word. This is a story. It's a true story. And it starts out as a story. This letter starts out as a story. You know how I know? Because he says, he starts out the same way like Star Wars movie starts out. You know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. We know, I mean, a child knows when you start this, this story like this, long ago at many times and in many ways, Oh, he's telling a story. Any three-year-old knows this is the beginning of a story and it's time to pay attention. The opening lines tells a story that sounds a little bit like this. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got the little itty-bitty baby in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. It's a paraphrase. NLT version, I think. So that's how this story started out. That's how God's word starts out in Hebrews. He's got a little, and Jesus is the single most glorious thing in all of the universe. And he has lived the life that you and I should have lived, but have failed to live. He died the death we deserve to die so that by trusting in him, we too would be held in his hands. Everything, he's the heir to all things. All things are in Christ's hands. If you hear his voice today, don't harden your hearts so that we can also know that we are in his hands. Every circumstance, every action, every fear, every desire and hope, every dream, we are held secure in his hands because he owns it all. And somehow we hear this story and we quickly forget it. That's why the writer of Hebrews tells us, don't only listen to what God says, but remember, rehearse it. Rehearse the story. You know, if only there was a way that you and I could rehearse and remember this story. I don't know, maybe like in a rhythm of like one day out of seven, that we could just like come together and remember this story together. You see what I'm getting at? God has created the Sabbath for us to rehearse this story to orient our life and our minds around it, to remember that we forget the story. We go into the marketplace, we go into our jobs, we go into the, the busyness of our life and we are prone to wander from this story, to forget that Christ is supreme, that he is better than everyone and anything from all times. And we start to place other things in the place of Christ that have more influence in our life. And then we come back and we worship and we sing songs like, you are worthy of it all. And we say, oh yeah, I forgot that. I forgot who Jesus is. Who is he? Was he, just, was he this nice guy who said some great things a long time ago? Was he a moral man? Was he a good teacher? 
Sure, he was all of those things, but supremely, he is, there is no greater image, expression of the will and purpose of God than in what Jesus Christ has done for us. He is the pre-incarnate Son of God. He is the, he is the incarnate Son of God who has eternally existed. And we should listen to him. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, 23 to 25. Let us hold fast to the confession of our heart, wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is an invitation. It's an exhortation uh, to, for God's people to, to gather in remembering this story that we are so easily that we so easily forget to hold to this confession without wavering because there are things in our life that will shake us that will tempt us god is faithful he who has promised is faithful we need to rehearse it when we gather today on sundays that's what we do we gather with god's people and say my heart is weak i'm prone to wander I need to be reminded, I need to reaffirm, hear God's reaffirmation of his covenant with me through Jesus Christ. I need to hear of his grace. I need to hear his word. I need to remember that he takes the supreme place in my life. He is my Lord. He is my rescuer. You know, your favorite music on Sunday, your favorite preacher or your favorite pastry in the welcome area is not the end all of Sunday. These are all just a means of pointing us to this one story. And the Hebrew, these people, this community of God's people are gathering to constantly be reminded where their hope truly rests. That it's in Christ, in his death, his life, his death, and his resurrection. When Jesus returns, he should find his people rehearsing this story. When he returns, he should find us remembering who he is, reading his word, dwelling deeply on his word, hearing his voice, orienting our hearts around what he has done. We must rehearse the supremacy of Jesus in our life because if we don't, something else will take its place. Some story will shape our lives. It'll be a story of, of self-sovereignty or it'll be a story of Christ's sovereignty. Hebrews tells us Jesus who made purifications for our sins and sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. The seat that Jesus has taken in all of heaven is a seat of power. It's a seat of authority. It is a seat of honor. And it's a seat that we must also have Christ in in our lives. He must take the seat in our lives, the throne in our lives of power and authority and honor. We always put something in that place. We're prone to put things in that place, taking Jesus off the throne and putting something else in that place. What could that be for you? Could it be comfort? Could it be your pursuit and desire for comfort to be the supreme goal in your life? Could it be, could it be wealth? Could it be financial security? Could it be physical health? Could it be uh, reputation? 
Could it be, uh, you know, as you compare yourself maybe as a mother or father to other people, could it be trying to, to hit some mark of righteousness to, so that others will look at you and admire you and admire your life? This passage is about declaring Christ better than anything and everyone for all times. Yet we at times make Christ lesser than he should be. We make our personal comfort better and Christ lesser. We make our reputation better and Christ lesser. We make our career better and Christ lesser. You and I are masters of replacing Christ with something lesser. The book of Hebrews is to remind us regularly that Jesus is better. He's better than everything and anyone for all times. It's so tempting to believe that you and I are the stars of the story, that we are the heroes of the story of the Bible, the heroes of our life, and that God is somehow a supporting actor to help us be the best version of ourselves that we can be. But the book of Hebrews points us to this picture of Jesus, that he is the hero. He's the star of the story. He is the center of all of our worship. And rather having God conform to our lives in order to make our lives more comfortable, we are invited into this relationship with him that transforms our life from one degree to the next. When God speaks, we listen to him. We rehearse this story so that we can be transformed into his image. This is God's agenda for us in Jesus Christ, that we would be transformed into the image of Christ. I'm going to ask you a question this morning that I hope will change or redirect the entire trajectory of your life. Are you ready for it? What do you expect God to do for you? Today, tomorrow, the next day, anytime. What do you expect him to do for you? What are you waiting for him to do that has yet to be done? What prayers have yet to be answered that you are waiting on for him to answer in your life? And how do you expect your life to go if you follow Jesus? What are your expectations? When you start and finish your day, what's heavy on your mind that you bring to God and say, God, this is what I need from you? We all have that. Maybe not in exactly those wordings of that question, but we all feel that. We all have expectations of how God will treat us. But if Jesus is supreme, as the claim that his word makes, that there's nothing better than Jesus, he is more superior than anyone and everything for all times, then we need to grasp the following concept. God's most glorious work in your life will not be how he makes your life shine, but how he, work, how he applies the work of Jesus to your life and transforms you to be more like him. Is that your expectation? Is your expectation as you follow Jesus to be that you will be transformed more and more into the image of Christ? Is that your goal, your number one goal in life? To be more, for God to be more in your life, for Christ to be greater and to have greater influence on all of your affections and dreams and hopes than anything else for his influence and opinion to matter more than anything in the world. 
Is that your hope and expectation? That's God's plan for you. That is his expectation. His most glorious work will be to make you more like Jesus. Less selfish and more generous. Less worried and more confident in God's love. Less like you and more like him. Does that, does that hurt you? Does that bother you? <laughs> Maybe a little bit? Are we prepared as we, as we come face to face and having this confrontation with God's word? Do we open up the scriptures and say, God, take away what is not like you and replace it with everything that is like you? Take, and even if it's me, take away what is natural in me that is broken and sinful and deceitful Take away what is rebellious in my heart and replace it with a heart that desires you above all things. That's what his word does. That's his agenda for our life. Is your goal to decrease and have Jesus increase in your life? Because that's his desire for you. And if it's not, then we will continually wrestle with God. We will see him work in our life and we will be confused by it. We'll experience pain and and we will be confused. We will misunderstand his actions in our life, if we believe his, his goal is to make our lives more comfortable, then when we are uncomfortable, we will feel confused by his actions. If becoming more sharpened and sanctified by the grace of Christ to better glorify and honor God is any way secondary to anything else you desire, then your aim is off. Our aim will be off. The Bible is not just a book of facts, yet it contains facts. The Bible is not just a book of morality, yet it contains moral lessons. It is not a book of fairy tales. It is a book about reality. God's word is a book of truth and reality. It's a book about God and his agenda for us. The purpose of God's word is not ultimately to make you and I smart or to make you relevant or to make you rich or to get you a job or to make you married or to take away your problems, or to tell you where to live. The aim that you and I might is for you and I to share in his glory by being transformed in the image of Jesus. And that is where the fullness of joy rests. Hebrews 4.12 that we'll look at in a few weeks says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If you give a real, thoughtful time to God's word, you will learn about God, but you'll also learn about yourself. You'll also, it'll tell you about yourself, about how, how needy we are, how dependent we are on his grace, how rebellious and deceitful we can be at times. It will discern our intentions if we receive it, if we actually have open ears and open eyes and heart to hear it. How are we transformed? You know, the clue, is in, the clue to our transformations in verse three, remember we've already said there's no other way to see the glory of God more perfectly and completely than by looking at Jesus and, and look at what Jesus is doing in verse three, right? He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe, the word of his power. How does he express this glory after Having, having, after sitting down, after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
Where do we see Jesus in his most glorious state? He's going to the cross. He is going to his death for us. Our glory, our redemption, our salvation and transformation will be accomplished through Jesus' suffering in our place. It's on the cross, it's in the midst of his greatest humiliation that we would find our greatest hope. We want so badly for God's glory to be completed in us. We want so badly for God to do miraculous works in our life. We ask for a sign. We ask for a miracle. We ask for spectacular, supernatural, the hand of God to intervene in our life and to accomplish the things that he desires to accomplish. But when we see God doing that with Jesus, we see him going to the cross. We want so badly for his work to be completed in our lives, but the crown comes only after the cross. The glory comes only after the cross of suffering. That means there's no Christianity without suffering. There's no, mis- no, there's no Christianity without the cross. There's no glory without suffering that comes from God pruning us, from him discerning our hearts, from us letting him have his way with us and making us more like him doing surgery on our hearts that are prone to sin and to rebel against God. Our life is in focus when it's aimed towards Jesus. And God is wanting to come into our life to not just stay on the surface, not just give us better habits and a more clear morality. He's not wanting just to make us more informed and intelligent Christians. He is wanting to do surgery on our hearts, getting in deep, He is wanting to cut through bone and marrow. He wants to expose those parts of our life that are prone to wander from God and he wants to heal us. He wants to make us more like Jesus. Our life is not in focus when we are living true to our passions, our emotions, our dreams, our aspirations. Our life is in focus when we see God using the circumstances of our life to draw us closer to him to transform us more into Jesus. At the heart of everything that matters, it's not a set of principles. It's not a set of ideas. It is a love relationship with a person. It is a love relationship with the creator. It's a love relationship with Jesus. What do you expect God to do for you? Take inventory on your aspirations and your hopes for this year and for your life, whether it's for your career, for your personal goals, whether it's for your family, for it's just for your health, whether it's emotional or physical. What is the aim in all of that? Whatever new habits or traditions or hobbies that you start or stop in 2022, I want to encourage you to make Jesus greater than everything in your life. Make him greater than everything in your life. Test his supremacy against everything you do. Every relationship you pour into, every penny that you spend, every affection that you express, everything that you do, your aspirations find meaning and motivation and joy in the supremacy of Christ over all things. Are they an overflow of your resting in the good news of what Jesus has done for you? Are they an overflow of, or are they an overflow of your attempts to being your own savior, 
I've got to be better. I've got to be good. I've got to be right. I've got to be thoughtful. I've got to be polished and cleaned up. Jesus lost his glory so that the very glory of God could come into our life and transform us from sinful people that we are into his adopted children that reflect his glory. It's by his grace. It's his mercy all the way. He upholds the universe. He makes purification for our sin. He sits down in power. He's working in us now through the presence of his Holy Spirit. Before you get what you believe about the Bible right, we need to get what we believe about Jesus right. Who is he? What has he done? On the cross is where Jesus took the punishment that you and I deserve. He was pierced on the cross so that, he, so that we could be pierced by his word and be changed forever. This is our goal. This is his agenda for us. Let's listen to his word and give our life to him.